please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. We will read 8 through 13. But this day we will look at three words. Yay. Excitement level just increased. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13 is where we are in our study of this letter. Let's have a word of prayer. And then we'll see what the word of the Lord says to us. Father, we come. Let us walk with you. Let us walk in a manner worthy. Father, let us walk in a way that brings glory and honor to you. Father, let us walk in love. Father, as we have already looked at the description of love, Father, may we now understand that love never fails. We come to you, the author and finisher of our faith, for your help for your assistance, for your wisdom. And Father, may we, who are called by your name, walk in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Verse 8, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes... The partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. All right? Very simple, very easy. We're looking at a phenomenal text, if you're really honest with it. Okay, but I, you can't drop the context. I, I know a lot of people like to use chapter 13 in their marriages you know, or, or preparing to get married in chapter 13. I got this lovey-dovey thing going on. Um, truth of the matter is, it ain't got nothing to do with marriage at all. And I believe it's a bad use of the text, though I doubt if I can talk people out of using it. Um, it is dealing with spiritual gifts. Dealing with spiritual gifts. It starts in chapter 12, verse 1, and it concludes at the end of verse 14. Anytime I see a person who teaches on spiritual gifts out of that context, they don't use that context, then I know that they are either, one, they don't study the Bible, or two, they're deceived. It's that simple. The text is very explicit. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I do not want you, in the literal word, is to be ignorant of the gifts. Okay, and yet I look at the body of Christ today, and that may be, uh, with a long list of a few other things, one of our shortcomings. We are very ignorant of the spiritual gifts. What are they? Um, we've been looking at it, and we need to keep it in its context because he's basically telling you and I, love is the issue. You have an outline there that says love is the only permanent thing. That's it. And what's really cool is that Paul now contrasts love to spiritual gifts. And he takes three of them in this text and he he will show you that why do you spend all of your energy pursuing temporary things? 
when there's only one thing that is eternal, and that is love. Um, Again, I want to go back because I want us to pay attention to this. You and I have an accountability before God in the body of Christ. And the accountability is that we are not to be unaware about spiritual gifts. All right. Um, One of the things that you may or may not understand where you live, if you live in Castle Rock today, is um, we are in an area that the odds are probably 10 to 1 greater that most people are into the experiential movement. Okay? I do not use the word charismatic. I do not. I think that is a great word, and I think that we got robbed. Um, For those of you who would be concerned, I am a charismatic. What? Oh, my God! But I thought you were a Baptist. No, I'm a charismatic Baptist. Oh, that's even worse. Okay. The word charisma in the original language means under grace. I'm under grace and I'm staying there. Okay. And I don't think that I should just take and throw somebody out there and say, well, you're charismatic. No. All right. I call it experiential. Okay. Um, There is... There is a huge, huge number of people today in your sphere, if you live in Castle Rock, and I believe that it's probably 10 to 1 or more, who believe that in the presence of God is some kind of an experience. You know, I worship how because I got goosebumps. I bet you a couple of times when Ezekiel stood in front of the people, he didn't have goosebumps. Okay, uh, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to downplay emotions and things like that. God gave us emotions, but very few people ever guard them. God is God of the mind, not the emotion. And we've been looking at that. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is always described. It's never defined in the scriptures. Why? Because love is a verb. Right? And it's self-sacrifice. And you're in an area, whether you know it or not, that thrives on the experience. Okay? Love. <laughs> love isn't the experience that you want it to be. I can guarantee it to you. Jesus hung on the cross. That was his love towards us. Anybody want to sign up for that one? I didn't think so. But that's what I'm trying to get people to understand. When we look at love, we looked at 15 facets of love, and I'm watching people walking out of here going, my God, I'm never going to do that, and this is awful. Yeah, that's the point. That is the point. What is it you seek? What is it you seek? I watch people who go to church for what reason? Why do you go to church? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why do I go to church? Please don't tell me it's because you just love getting up on Sunday morning. Because you're in need of professional help if that's the call. Okay? There is a misunderstanding today on what church is, 
huge misunderstanding of what church is. There is a huge misunderstanding on spiritual gifts. And all of it is the same thing that uh, is the tragedy of the Corinthian church. We've already looked at, in verses 1 through 3, how important love is. Um, Anything minus love is nothing. What? Anything minus love is nothing. It accounts for nothing. It has no nothing. And and, and any gift, any ministry without love is zero. It, 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 It doesn't accomplish anything. All right? So... In the exercising of our gifts, there must be first and foremost what? Love. In any ministry, any ministry, any service that we do, that's ministry. What it must be there? Love. Okay? So we looked at how important love is. And then in verses 4 through 7, we looked at how perfect love is. How perfect is love? All right. And we looked at 15 facets, say, of a diamond that make this um, what you would call the portrait of love. What does love look like? How do I know that that's what it is? In verses 8 through 12, we'll see how permanent love is. And then verse 13 is how love is everlasting. Okay. But I want to look today at verse 8, and I'm just going to look at three words in verse 8. Because I want you to see how permanent love is. All right? Um, because this, the first three words of verse 8 is the whole issue for the rest of the chapter. Uh, the rest of it sort of is a comment or motiv- uh, modifies what these first three words are. Um, you know, I, I look at it from my perspective as an exposition on the statement. Let me explain the statement. What is the statement? Love never fails. Okay? Love lasts. Okay? Did you know that hope will come to an end? Because at some point, hope will be realized. Did you know when hope is realized that I don't need it anymore? Interesting thought. Did you know that faith will come to an end? Because at some point, your faith will be sight. Theologians call it actualized. Your faith will be actualized. That means you're going to see it. I don't have to have faith anymore. Faith and hope are going to pass. But love will never come to an end. Ever come to an end. It's, It's the one thing that will go on forever. Listen, Scripture doesn't say God is hope. Scripture doesn't say God is faith. What does Scripture say? God is love. And so love is as eternal as God is. See, love will only go on forever. That's all. And this is what the Corinthians needed to hear. And I am not sure that there may be many who need to hear it today. In the Corinthian church, there were many who were busy in the church, but their busyness was fracturing the fellowship. Boy, do I see that today. And they do it over the temporal things. 
I have seen church split over carpet colors. Interesting concept. Okay? I'd have put wood floors in, but that would call a different split. I've seen them say, well, you can't have a church if you don't have pews. You you can't have chairs. That's heresy. Chairs? Heresy. Okay? Great. Why didn't I think of that? You know what? I don't think that you can have church if you don't have a 12-hour message. And I have biblical precedence for mine. He started preaching early in the morning and finished up late at night. The kid fell out the window and died. He went down and raised him from the dead. And then went back and did what? Continued preaching. And he says he was strengthening the saints with lengthy messages. Sounds good. I've seen churches split over music. Can anybody tell me who led Paul's music? Um, who was Jesus's music director? Who led Jesus's worship? Interesting concept. We're forgetting the one thing that is eternal. There's only one thing. Love will go on forever and ever. Corinth was called by Greek scholars and Greek writers as the vanity fair of the world. Interesting quote, don't you think? Considering that the people who wrote these statements were not saved. Okay, I was reading, I think it was Socrates says he loved Corinth because he could go to Corinth and find bare-tested women, women spearing pigs and climbing poles. There was a great women's lib movement in Corinth. Um, to, if you were sexually promiscuous, it was given the term to Corinthianize. Okay, and you know what's amazing about all of that? God stuck a church right in the middle of it. <laughs> what was you thinking? I remember a friend of mine wanted to take a full-page ad and share the gospel in Playboy magazine. It's going to cost him a chunk of change. He says, but the people who will read this are the ones who need the gospel. I said, nobody reads Playboy. They look at the pictures. Don't you understand? It's got to be a picture. I don't know whether you ever did it or not. In that city, the church had one calling. One calling by God. And that was to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and to be a demonstration of His character. I wonder what the calling is for us today. You ever wondered? Perhaps it is to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and demonstrate His character. And you know what's really cool about it is, is that God does it through the lives of a plurality of believers from across all kinds of spectrum. And this high calling has been given as a privilege to all those who would be called by His name. I, that, that's fascinating. And the only way that this calling will ever be fulfilled or could ever be fulfilled is if they or we are submissive to His will. Okay? City of Corinth was mastered by materialism. 
city of Corinth was antagonistic. There was competition in Corinth. They had the Isthmian Games that were to counter the Olympic Games that you know of that would go on in Athens. But they were freer than those in Athens and you had to perform in them naked. They were the sinner and mastered by selfishness. They were the sinner and mastered by sexual immorality. Uh, They had a bitterness because it was what they called a slave state. And what I mean by that is that once you had paid your debt as a slave, you were given a plot of land or something in Corinth and you could establish your business and residency. A lot of the Roman uh, who were conquered, or a lot of people who were conquered under Roman rule would settle in Corinth and they would have their area there that they could um, start being a free man in. And they cherished their freedom. And yet in that mindset, in that society... God says, I want you to be salt and light. Here's the problem. They weren't salt and light. The tragedy was Corinth had salted the church. What do you think about today? Does the church stand out against society? As something unique in society? Or does the church look like society? The spirit of Corinth had filled the church in Corinth. It's what I call reverse evangelism. It's what it was. I mean, you go and look at... I look at people who tout themselves, we want to be like the Corinthians. And I was like, yeah, you read the letter. I mean, first six chapters, he just beats them ragged. And then in chapter seven, he says, now let me deal with what you guys asked me about. And then he just beats them up some more. And then all of a sudden, 13, he says, I need a reprieve. Let's talk about love. This is nasty. This is a confronting letter. And I want you to understand something about the letter. There's no doctrinal issue here. This is not a doctrinally stupid church. This church understands the word of God. It was founded by the Apostle Paul. They read their Bibles. And yet you had a man in their church who had his father's wife. The Greeks even called that incest. And the Corinthians were touting it as freedom. They were divorcing because they thought it was more spiritual to be single. Really? The spirit of Corinth had filled the church. I'm not sure that that's not where you stand today. Christians were living for their flesh. Christians were worldly. Worldly indulgences, I guess, is the best I could describe it. They sought the things of the world. The things of the world were more important. They were selfish. They were vengeful. Um contentious, they were proud, they were compromising. Just about everything that characterizes, that was characteristic of their society had the church had picked up on. They had even brought in the perversion of spiritual behavior. They had actually taken Christ and started moving it towards a pagan religion. 
and adding their pagan beliefs to his to to the person of Christ. Even to the point of twisting spiritual gifts away from the spirit to operate them in the flesh and under the energy of Satan. That was what was going on in church in Corinth. So let me explain something about Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It is a corrective letter. (laughs) There's an understatement, isn't it? It's for the church. It's for the individual. It's strong. It's firm. It's straightforward. And yet right in the middle of this thing here, we've got this chapter 13 that deals with love. 13 phenomenal verses. The apostle comes, it's almost like he comes to the, the, he's sort of going through all of this mess and saying, this is awful. And you, you can't do that. What's the matter with you? You can't blend the worldly philosophies. You can't blend worldly wisdom. You can't believe, blend the passions of man and the purposes of man with Christ and get something better. You can't do it. And then he says, you know what? I have a cure. Dag on. Holy Spirit moves on the Apostle Paul. I have something that can fix everything. Fixes it all. I don't have to worry about immorality. I don't have to worry about you guys suing each other. I don't have to worry about you guys divorcing one another. I don't have to worry about you guys getting drunk at the Lord's table. I don't have to worry about you guys uh, stealing the food from the poor people So at the, at the feast. I have a cure for all of it. I can fix it all. Whoa! Here it is. Love. Love one another. What's the matter with you? The great thing that is needed. Love. The great thing that is absent. Love. This church had no self-sacrifice in giving in Corinth. There was no washing of each other's feet in Corinth. Actually, kind of resented each other. I see that on a regular basis. They argued. They shut each other out. They had their little private groups. I see that today. They sued each other. They boasted against each other. They had jealousy. They they would pursue their own interests. Just go through the 15 facets that we've looked at, and the Corinthians were opposite of every one of them. Were they patient? No. Were they kind? No. Were they jealous? Yes. Did they brag? Yes. Were they arrogant? Yes. Were they unbecoming? Yes. Did they seek their own? Yes. Just go backwards through it. What is the church in America today? Tell me where I'm wrong. And Paul writes love. Rather, and he writes it in a magnificent way, rather than being involved with the spiritual gifts, uh, uh, rather than being I want the gift that makes me prominent. Okay, Rather than being concerned over seeking the showy gifts, rather than concerned seeking the chief place, rather than seeking recognition, why do we... Does anybody know who the pastor of the church in Thessalonica was? Did he ever publish anything? Why do we believe that a pastor today, if he publishes a book and it becomes like a bestseller, he's a great guy? And you know what? I read 1 Thessalonians, and that's the most amazing letter I've ever read in my life. First three chapters, Paul is just in awe of what has happened with them. 
He says, I was only there maybe three months at the most. And yet, what God is doing among you is known in Achaia and Macedonia, the whole Greek peninsula. Not only there, but it is known throughout Christendom how God has turned you from idols to the true and living God. You have a faith that just is beyond our understanding. You have a love that literally will injure itself to help another person. You have a hope purely based on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, did they do that through a radio ministry? Oh, it was a music ministry. How did they do that? It says that you received the word as the word of God and the power of the spirit. That's the difference. What are we doing today? We want recognition. We want the chief places. We want the showy stuff. We want the articulate. And I don't see a seeking love. Rather than envying one another, why don't you seek love? Because you know what? Love never fails. Okay? I like this. This is easy text for me. All right? It's three words in the English and it's three words in the Greek. I like it when they do that. I prefer it that way. We understand because we have seen love described. I know what love is. It says here, love. What is it? That's that 15 things we just looked at. It's patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It, it does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. does not seek its own. Is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. It Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. That's love. No worries. No worries. So we understand that. But then it says, it doesn't never fail. What do you mean fail? The word in the original language, original language literally means to fall. Okay? Literally falling to the ground. But it has a meaning to it that's a meaning of finality. Right? It literally means to fall into decay. All right? uh, it's used to speak of a flower. When, when the petals drop off the flower and fall to the ground, that is the term that is used to describe that. It could be translated um, to abolish, be abolished. Love will never be abolished. Love never falls. Love never drops to the ground in decay. Linsky wrote it this way, says, quote, Love is a flower in which there is no decay, unquote. I know, he said, yeah, you wouldn't have wrote that. You're right. <laughs> I thought you pressed them. No, never mind. Okay. Love can never cease. Love can never cease. Because it's synonymous with God. I mean, God is love. In Him, there is no such thing as decay. 
All right? If you look at the other word there, love, never, okay, what does that mean? Um, it's a time word in the original language. It has to do with time. Um, what is really, what it's really saying is love, love at no time will ever fail. What? Love at no time will ever fail. Okay? Therefore, it's translated in the New American Standard as never. Love never fails. Listen, if you're truly honest with the text, um, someday, in fact, love will be the only thing that's left. If you really, if you, if you really want to be honest with what we've been looking at and what we've been studying, we won't need teaching anymore because we, verse 12, one of the most powerful texts that I've ever read in my life is, I will know fully just as I have been fully known. I don't get that. <laughs> I don't understand that. I can tell you what it says, but it don't make sense. Okay? Think about it. God knit you in your mother's womb. He knows the hairs of your head. Right? You're going to know Him that well. What? So I'm probably not going to need any knowledge. (laughs) I'm not going to need any preaching and I get a hearty amen. Because you know why we won't need any more preaching? We will have already responded in obedience to everything. Did you get that? We will have already responded into obedience into everything. Why? Because we know as God knows. What? I don't know how that works. I really don't. You know, people ask me about heaven. You know, streets of gold and all the rest of it. You know what? Sin, sin is absent in heaven. I don't understand that. I cannot comprehend that. I cannot get my brain wrapped around that. I don't understand that at all. Okay, and if you think you can, you have deceived yourself. Because all you know is sin. All you've ever been exposed to is sin. I don't grasp that. I cannot get my head around, even think about trying to get around, what does it mean to know as God knows me? I knew no. And then to understand that the preaching is to call to obedience. And I don't have to have that anymore because everything that I already know, I am in absolute obedience to already. I don't know how that works. I won't need any wisdom. I won't need any knowledge. You know what's really amazing? I won't need anyone to hold me up. I won't need anyone to help me. I won't need anyone to rebuke me. I will not need one, anyone to exhort me. I will not need anyone to encourage me. I will not, you know, I will not need anybody to pray for me. I will not need anything. Because I'll be as Jesus. And you think you can get your hands around that, go, go for it. Because every time I get, it just gives me a headache. But there's one thing will remain. Love. 
love. And it's going to be in a way that you never dreamed. But when I think about this text that it says that it never fails, I think that it being totally involved, totally engulfed in the character of God's love manifested to each other forever. Oh, that, that gets me. I just sort of, huh. Paul's writing to Corinth. He's writing to us today. You better get a grip on what's going to be around forever. We all try to spend our time grasping what? And he says, but there's only one thing that is permanent. One thing. Why are we divided over the temporary? Now, I want to give you just a a thought because I've heard this kind of misunderstood or misapplied. It is not saying love always succeeds. That is not what this text says. Okay? You know, if I just love, that'll do it. You know, I watch people take this and they think that, well, love always wins. Do you know who's writing this? Paul. Um, Listen, Paul, by the writing of 1 Corinthians, had been to a lot of towns and a lot of cities, and he had loved a lot of people. And for the most part, he'd been thrown out of every city. Right? I mean, he was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten. He was run out of Thessalonica. They'd taken hostages. They'd run him out of Berea. They'd run him out of Athens. They'd run him out of Corinth. Everywhere you go, I mean, in Ephesus, all there was was a riot. So I'm pretty sure that what Paul's trying to tell you and me is that love doesn't always win. It doesn't always succeed, but it will never fall into decay. It'll never fail. You know, when I think about it, Jesus loved. Did you think he was successful? I mean, he loved the world. And they basically refused it. And they... Turned around and walked away from his love. I don't want your love. Why? It costs too much. Remember the rich young ruler? He had sensed the love of Christ. He had felt his presence. He knew what it was. And he says, sell everything, follow me. And the rich young ruler said what? I don't want your love. And he walked away. Judas, Iscariot, three years. Can you think, listen, I cannot understand the love of Christ. I don't understand it. Judas Iscariot, immersed, engulfed in the love of Christ for three years. What did he do? He walked away. He walked away. I've seen husband and wives in my years here at this church. Husbands 
who love their wives unconditionally. And the wife walked away. I've seen wives who love their husbands unconditionally. Just overwhelmed with the presence of Christ. I'm going to love, I'm going to love. And the guy walks away. So when you read this, don't think that love wins. That ain't what the text says. Love doesn't always win. But what the text is telling you and I is love is eternal. Love will go on forever. So we might as well realize um, where we need to put our emphasis. Where do we put our emphasis? That's easy. Where do we put it? You know what? I would argue today that American church is no, uh, at best, no different than the Corinthians. And I think the realization is just um, does not seek its own is pretty much self-sufficient statement. Um, most people in the body of Christ today seek their own. What's primary? Yeah, I met with a beautiful woman last night. She'd lost her husband. And she was talking about the love of the church. And had she been married to this man and how the church is just this love, this family. And she said, you know, um, she had forfeited it sometimes with the role of a mother and grandmother and, and all the rest of it. And she says, you spend time with your kids and your husband and they don't want to go to church. They don't want to do this and they want to entertain themselves with this and this. She says, but yet the one thing that I've always seen is the love of the church. It never stops. I know when my mom, um, uh, I lost my father when I was 12 years old. Um, My mom became a widow when she was 36, um, 37. And uh, she remarried about 10 years later. And um, my prayer for my mom was that she would never have to be a widow. And uh, God felt that, or didn't felt, God ordained that she would be a widow again. And I watched her go through the death of her second husband with more dignity and grace than I've ever seen in any human being. And I don't, I'm not slanted in a bias. She had a piece there that said, no, his race is complete. God had given him to me this many years, and now God wants him home. And she never stopped loving and I, here, here, here's my mom. Both of her sons are in Colorado. She's in Ohio. And so you start thinking as a son, do I sell it all? Move back, help mom, what? And I watched in that process of a week, a body of people. She had people lined up to cut her yard. I never even did that when I was a kid. <laughs> Show me the cash. <laughs> I cut the grass. They clean the gutters out. I mean, they're doing... They came through. She had these storm windows that weren't storm windows. And they just came through and put them all in. The church did. Just boom. She doesn't know how come they get the snow off her driveway that fast. She says, they must stay awake all night and wait. Why? Because the church loves. Loves. Listen, the whole idea of church, I've got a, a thing on, on my desk, but behind my desk, someone very dear to me gave it to me for one of my anniversaries here. 
And it's my verse. It's the verse that uh, I, uh, I, before I became a pastor, this is what I understood. And it's uh, Colossians 1.28. And it says a lot. We admonish and teach and rebuke. But at the end of the verse is what showed me what I needed to understand. Is that I may present everyone complete in Christ. That's the whole idea of church. Just get everybody to love everybody and we've got it. Dude, I have got my hands full. <laughs> I don't have to worry about my job going away. I probably don't have to worry about it. What do they call it when they ship it out of country? Sourced out. Although I would give anything time. Go ahead. Source it out. <laughs> But do you see what I'm trying to get at? The church will be visible to those who are visible to the fellowship. Those who are not, they will love them anyway. You can't sit in church and not love unconditionally. It's impossible. You know, even though we we, we want to clear up some issues. Are we willing to look at the scriptures together? Because I want you to look at this because next week I want to show you what he does. The Apostle Paul takes love. It never fails. And then he says, watch, I'm going to even contrast them with spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? They are gifts from the Holy Spirit. We've already looked at that. He gives them as he wants. That would be the Holy Spirit. He gives the gifts to whom he wants. Okay. And he gifts and, and, and this. I, I think of it as a palette that you'd mix oil paints on. And he mixes the blendings as he deems necessary. So they can put all the gifts together in that group of people. So that when you turn it around and you look at it from this side, you see a portrait of Christ. And he says, even spiritual gifts do not compare to love. And when I see people struggling over spiritual gifts or fighting over spiritual gifts or demanding spiritual gifts, I know what the issue is. One thing every single one of you need in this church, love. You don't need icky sentimentalism. You need the verb. And I know people in this church right now, and I'm going to look down so nobody thinks I'm looking at them, who sit around and say, I'm not loved. And I can look them right in the eye and say, you know what? You don't love. Or you'd never say that. It's impossible. It's impossible. Love is not for the weak of faith. It's not. Hardest thing you'll ever, ever do. Guaranteed. But people just don't... You know what? My Bible doesn't say I'm supposed to care. I got in trouble for that. I told God one time that I cared. And He said, I don't want you to care. I want you to love them. But I don't want to. Caring is easier. Because when they walk away, I don't care. (laughs) All right. So in the next few weeks, we'll look at the gifts are temporary, the gifts are partial, the gifts are elementary. And love not only will not fail, 
but is only eternal. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your love that you have poured in the hearts of your people to your spirit. And that is a promise. And I thank you for that. Father, I thank you for your church. Yes, Lord, she struggles. But you told us that she would. You showed us that she would. You even give us the cures for the struggle. Father, help us. Help us to love as Christ loved us. Help us to hang on a cross for our brothers and sisters. Father, we may give you the glory. Father, may you be so manifest in your love in this group of people and in myself that the visible world can look at it and say how they love one another. Lord, let us be the manifestation, the portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ to your glory, to your praise forever and ever. Amen.